The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cox Media Group, Ohio. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. We're watching the radar right now. If weather breaks, we break in immediately. Here on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And I'm Dayton's consumer warrior, Clark Howard. You're listening to an Ask the Expert Weekend. There is a season Welcome to There is a Season, the Bob and Gloria show, and the show that's all about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thanks for being with us this week. This is the place where we talk about the seasons of your life and strive to provide better understanding and insight in matters of health, caregiving, relationships, lifestyle changes, and more. Whether you're in your 30s, your 60s, or your 90s, Each season you experience comes with its own set of challenges. We talk about them all here and try to give you resources, insights, and inspiration to plan for a fulfilling future for yourself and your loved ones. Of course, you can enjoy and share a podcast of this program through our website, thereisaseasonshow.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, the TuneIn app, and many other platforms. Just look for There Is A Season and Today's Date. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback about this and any There is a Season program. We sure would. So just drop us a note at Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. Or when you visit our site, just fill out our handy form under the In Touch app, tab. <laughs> In Touch tab. Say that 10 times fast. In Touch tab. In Touch tab. In Touch tab. <laughs> Thank me for that. Uh, and of course, the show is interactive while we're actually broadcasting. So if you want to be permanently part of something, that'll go into the... Uh, the records here of all of our podcasts. Now you're Give scaring us... people off with that. No, I mean, that's think about the fame. Permanently. The, think about the fame. People could be part of this fine program forever. So how could they participate? Okay, they can participate by calling our number in the studio today at 457-1290. That's 937-457-1290 from anywhere you're listening. We would definitely love to hear from you. Yes, and and whether you're part of things long-term or not, we obviously would love to hear your opinions we, today. And we take special requests so that we can blip people out, don't we? Right. Wouldn't we do that for someone you, you if they the, don't want to be permanently archived? Uh, oh, well, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> right? I thought you meant because they were going to cuss at us or something like that. We were gonna, oh, we never get people cussing at us. Never. Never. Well, there was that one time. So anyway, it's news, but it's no news. It's frustrating and vexing and relentlessly in decline. And many, many people in private industry, in government, in education, and other fields are trying to turn this around. Yes, it's been going on for years, if not decades, as our economy has made certain transitions from heavy industry to service to information and finance. And as our population has changed, with more boomers retiring and more millennials entering the workforce. And amidst all of this, we're talking about the shortage of skilled labor in our workforce. There are many factors that have contributed to this problem, and it is indeed a problem that is acting as a drag on the economy, despite recent successes in things like overall employment figures and other statistics. We start today with an article by Sarah Chamberlain, a contributor to the site Forbes.com. America is facing an unprecedented skilled labor shortage. 
According to the Department of Labor, the U.S. economy had 7.6 million unfilled jobs, but only 6.5 million people were looking for work as of January 2019, and it is more apparent than ever that our country is suffering because of it. Take our infrastructure, for instance. Roads, highways, bridges, locks, dams, harbors, water systems, and airports have been neglected or only marginally repaired in the last 20 years. Each year, the cost to fix or replace the crumbling systems soars, with estimates now in the multi-trillions of dollars. And that's just to fix what's already there and falling apart. Now, our president has called for at least a trillion and a half. I love how they throw around these numbers, but it takes a lot of bucks. It does. A trillion and a half for infrastructure construction, fueled uh, with government spending, including public-private partnerships and cutting through some red tape and so forth. Congress has appropriated some spending and promises to spend more. And if they get this done, the impact on skilled labor jobs will be massive. I mean, think about that. In the previous administration, we talked about all this shovel-ready stuff that never really came to pass. There wasn't that much shovel-ready stuff to do. But now, again, they're looking to spend on infrastructure, and they're going to need skilled laborers to do it. So aside from federal uh, infrastructure spending, projected job growth in many building trades continues to be positive. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, which tracks all this stuff, projects better-than-average employment in the building trades at least through 2026. The only problem is there simply may not be enough workers to employ. The issue is partly due to our culture's emphasis on going to college. Many high schools look to their university placement as the best judge of a quality education. That statistic discriminates against students for whom college is just simply not a good fit, especially when schools do little to inform students of non-collegiate options. It is unfortunate for those students who try college but eventually drop out, feeling like a failure, when in fact it wasn't the right place for them from the start. Now, recognizing high tuition cost, long-term student loan debt, and difficulties finding a job in the field of their college major should be motivating young men and women to look at better-paying alternatives from the onset. Many are already skilled at working with their hands and prefer jobs where they can move around rather than sitting at a desk all day. High school career counselors would be doing students a big favor by informing them about the benefits of getting into technical trades. Parents who best understand their son or daughter's interest may also do well to encourage career options aside from immediately attending college. It's time we reduce the stigma around technical training. Skilled labor is not a fallback position, but a genuine positive career choice. While speaking recently with a group of high school seniors, most raised their hands when asked, who is planning to go to college? A young woman in the class bucked the trend and said she was going into carpentry, hoping to eventually become a construction manager. She will either attend a private career education school at a cost of a few thousand dollars, often covered with available scholarships, or she'll join a labor union where her education is paid for by private employers. She had obviously thought this through. A union carpenter, she said, serves as an apprentice for four years while earning a paycheck and attending classes. Her starting pay would be above $40,000 a year and increase every 1,000 hours worked with health care and retirement benefits. Long term, her plan is to work for five years, save some money, get additional training as a foreman, take college courses, and eventually become a project manager. I find it rare, first of all, that that many kids have a plan 
as thought out as she does. This is pretty amazing, the it lady is. they talk about in this article. Though it's the opposite track of the student who attends college first, then gets a job, she will be bringing a treasure trove of experience to the university classroom when she does attend, and I have no doubt that she'll be very successful. Now, many other areas, Bob, of building trades continue to see considerable, considerable growth as well. Joel Salerno, the Government Affairs Director for National Electrical Contractors Association of Western Pennsylvania, said the nationwide market demand for skilled electricians will remain high. Currently, there are 16,000 job openings for electricians, with more anticipated as many current electricians are near retirement age. Future job growth in the electrical field will be with energy efficiency, power over Ethernet, and retrofitting buildings. We have drilled into our children's heads college, college, college all their life. And we need to get some students earlier to let them know of these career options, said Salerno. She noted that at some International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers training centers, a student will earn an associate's degree all the while while also receiving a paycheck. We're reading here from the uh, the article Addressing the Skilled Labor Shortage in America. It was by Sarah Chamberlain, who's a contributor to Forbes.com. I uh, wrote this uh, within the last year here. And and just so it's, you know, we're being fair to the folks out here who have been on this, there has been an awful lot that's been done uh, in this regard in terms of trying to stem uh, stem the decline, I guess. And, and there's a lot of reasons that you'll hear us talk about here today. People going to college a lot more than they used to. Also, older workers retiring in the baby boomer generation from skilled trades has created this you know, kind of leaky pale. An awful lot of these folks are, are going into their retirement and people are not replacing at the same level, largely because they're going into college and right. not going into the technical fields. And we'll also get into all the stigmas and myths that are out floating around about the yeah. trades. And so this has been going, this is not a new problem. It's been going on for years. Some people would say it's been going on for decades and it is somewhat masked by the overall statistics you read about unemployment. And we'll talk about that more too. Luckily, Congress here is already working to address the issue. Uh, U.S. Representatives Anthony Gonzalez and Cedric Richmond recently introduced a bill called the Jumpstart Our Businesses by Supporting Students Act. That's Jobs Act. The bill expands federal education grant eligibility to technical school training, incentivizing students to pursue opportunities other than the traditional four-year degree. With tens of thousands of current job openings and hundreds of thousands anticipated over the coming year, the question is this, why aren't we telling more of our kids about these options for their future? A smart, dedicated young man or woman develops a lot of life skills on the job. Technical careers demand the same level of leadership, collaborative teamwork, productivity, and problem solving in an equally complex and challenging environment as any other opportunity in the employment arena. Rewarding career? Yes. Hard work? Yes. Good pay? Yes. Long-term opportunity? Absolutely. And he or she says, sounds like the American dream to me. So yeah, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a good article, and, and I think um, it lays it out pretty well so far. Uh, but we're not satisfied with just Sarah Chamberlain's article, are we, Gloria? <laughs> no, I think we're just scratching the surface. Besides... I got nowhere else to be right now. <laughs> so you thought you'd hang out here in a studio. Yeah. Not a bad thing to do. <laughs> hey, there's some people out there in the street who always want to do the same thing. Uh, I, I have no <laughs> other place to be either here on this beautiful day. So uh, we're going to get into this even deeper when we come back. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the subject. 
Why do you think our region and so many others are struggling to fill skilled positions? Give us a call today, 457-1290. That's 937-457-1290 when we continue. You are listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Experts weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. There is a season. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan, 457-1290, if you'd like to share your thoughts or have a comment today. In our opening segment, we got into this topic of the shortage in skilled labor that has affected this region and many others in the country. And we're sharing an article today by Sarah Chamberlain, who wrote for Forbes.com. She makes some excellent points, I think, in that article. But I think there's more going on with this than population dynamics and the bias toward college and so forth. I think there's much more to the story. You think there's more to the story? You? Well, yes. Yes, I do. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly a conspiracy theory theorist, but uh, I think there is something else going on here. Oh, well, I think she did a nice job of talking about the bias toward the four-year college degree. That's been going on for much of the last two to three decades. But we do know, Bob, that that's not the whole picture. It's not the whole picture. No, in fact, we're going to go where most would not go, except for perhaps... I don't know, Mike Rowe, the star of the TV series Dirty Jobs. Many people may remember him. He also, didn't he do some truck commercials or something for Ford? I think he was doing the Ford commercials. I don't know. You watch more TV than I do, I, Not a ton. Oh. I think, you know, he had that whole plaid shirt, don't... jeans, and the ball cap thing going Ooh. on. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he did the turn. <laughs> What am I saying? Dirty jeans, he too. Did the dirty jeans. He did the Dirty <laughs> Jobs show, and then later on CNN, uh, he did Somebody's Got to Do It. Micro has long been a proponent of getting back to basics, uh, especially in the world of labor. Mm-hmm. And he's quoted in the article, Reviving Blue Collar Work, which was authored by Jeremy Anderberg, and which has appeared in a really intriguing site called theartofmanliness.com. I'm sure there's an art of womanliness, but right now, theartofmanliness.com. And Mr. Rowe's quote begins thus. Consider the reality of today's job market. We have a massive skills gap. Even with record unemployment, millions of skilled jobs are unfilled because no one is trained or willing to do them. Meanwhile, unemployment among college graduates is at an all-time high, and the majority of those graduates with jobs are not even working in their field of study. Plus, they owe a trillion dollars in student loans. Jeez. A trillion. Unbelievable. I know. And still, we push a four-year college degree as the best way for the most people to find a successful career. That comes from Mike Rowe. Now, for better or for worse, it says here in this article, Reviving Blue Collar Work, what we do for a living often defines us. It's one of the first questions we ask people when we meet them for the first time. Remember, we always talk about the first 20 years. What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, what are you going to do? What are you studying in school? Now we ask, what do you do for a living? It's where we end up spending 90,000 hours of our life over the course of 40-some years. Unfortunately, most people count themselves as unhappy with their work by a ratio of 2 to 1 worldwide. Pop culture endlessly makes fun of the drone-like office employee, and yet that's where most of us are. Is there a better way? Are there careers that could engage us, provide for us, and make us happier? The answer is a resounding yes. 
And we're going to talk more about that when we come back after the news. We're going to tell you where you can find this article, certainly later on in the show. And we're going to probe this question is of what is going on with the shortage in skilled labor? Have we become so focused on service and information in financial industries that we're not interested in making stuff anymore? Is it something else? Stick around as we delve even deeper into the mystery. You're listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season with Bob and Gloria, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I would be Bob Wolf. And I would be Gloria Shanahan. 457-1290 to weigh in on today's topic. That's 937-457-1290. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. We've opened the program here talking about the shortage of skilled labor. And we heard from Sarah Chamberlain, who wrote for Forbes.com. And then we jumped into another article here that we found on theartofmanliness.com called Reviving Blue Collar Work, Four Myths About Skilled Trades. And uh, Mike Rowe, of course, from the uh, TV series... Dirty Jobs has weighed in on this and had some commentary. Uh, But the article written by Jeremy Anderberg asks the question, is there a better way? Are there careers that would engage us, provide for us, and make us happier in life? Uh, And the answer is yes, but with the important caveat. Young men should expand their search, and it, it just doesn't apply to men, but the article is written that way, should expand their search for a career beyond the white collar gigs that are pitched to most of us from our first day of secondary education. For modern high school students, the default path, let's see if this sounds familiar, the default path is graduating from high school, going on to a four-year college, and then finding work in an office. In fact, there are nearly twice as many business degrees handed out as any other single degree. But college simply isn't for everyone, and neither is a lifetime of sitting at a desk. Luckily, there's a world of satisfying, good-paying jobs Beyond the cubicle wall. Yes. And so let's get started by exploring the myths that have made the path of blue collar work something that most young men don't even contemplate taking. So the four myths of skilled labor. Welders, plumbers, electricians, machinists, they're in higher demand now and have greater benefits than they ever have. Now, while our nation endures record unemployment for young people, there are literally thousands upon thousands of trade jobs available. Very good jobs, mind you, that go untaken because there aren't skilled laborers to take them. So there's good work and good money to be had in the trades. So why aren't more young people picking up their hard hats? Well, it boils down to this, Bob. Stereotypes. Our nation's workers are holding on to stereotypes about blue-collar work and about trades. That may have been true 50 years ago, but simply aren't the case anymore. There are a number of myths that folks hold about skilled trade careers. And we're going to take a look and get to work dismantling them right here in our studio. <laughs> dismantling. Aren't like we, that. Bob? That sounds like a big blue-collar kind of job. So start well, dismantling you know, keep, them. Keep in mind all the things we've said in the past here also about uh, this, this weird thing that's occurred where we've got all these degrees coming out. And then how many people are living with somebody who's 25, 26 years old in their house still? And that degree isn't doing them a whole lot lot of good. They're not working in that field. They might be a barista or something at Starbucks, which is a fine transitional job. But why spend 
tens of thousands of dollars uh, getting a college degree if that's where or, you are. Or they just didn't go off to college because they just they really just didn't want to. They they didn't like school, and so they're doing not much other than maybe you know a couple, you know, part time jobs here and there. But the uh, the pathway that was referred to there in that article it talks about how a lot of people go to high school and then they're you know expected to go on to some kind of a college uh, that that is very familiar to a lot of people and. And one of the myths that exists here, they point out in this article, is this. Blue-collar work is seen as beneath white-collar work. There's a quote here from Francis Parker uh, from 1897. And uh, he, he's commenting in something called the country school problem. He says, my plea then is that the country school should make farm labor and all labor honorable it should dignify it, should show that the environment of the country furnishes inexhaustible resources for intellectual life. Blue collar and white collar are two sides of the same coin, according to Mike Rowe. And as soon as we view one as more valuable than the other, we'll have infrastructure. Didn't we talk about that earlier? We'll have infrastructure that falls down. We'll have a skills gap. Yes. And since ancient times, manual labor has been looked upon as a job for slaves or for the lesser. The upper classes did their work with their minds. They philosophized. They ran cities and nations, sold goods. Though for a long time, even merchants were looked down upon since in handling money, they were inferior to those who made their living purely through cognition. Egyptians, Greeks, white Americans in the 1800s. These groups of people spurned physical labor and forced others to do it for them. It was hard, and as our human tendency is to seek comfort where we can, it was a mark of status to be above it. During the industrialization period at the turn of the 20th century, manual labor lost some of its stigma. It was where the economy was going. It was where most of the jobs were. And there was a sense of it being absolutely essential to the building up of the country's quickly expanding roads and cities. You learn all about this in school. Remember the Industrial Revolution and all that. As learning a trade was a definite step up from being a cog in the factory system that had arisen in the 1800s, or from working in the agrarian life before that, skilled craftsmen started to gain a greater measure of respect. After World War II, however, more and more folks began enrolling in four-year colleges, spurred on in large part by vets getting their tuition taken care of by the U.S. government through the GI Bill. Virtually unlimited free education? Who wouldn't take that deal? If you could make a living with your mind and not have to physically work hard, all the better. As the four-year education trend gained steam, teachers and administrators began to play more of an advisory role towards students helping them decide where to go, which colleges they could get into, etc. Now, these counselors guided their best and brightest students towards prestigious four-year institutions while shuttling poor-performing students toward tech or vocational schools. Learning a trade became, became thought of as a career track for those who couldn't hack it in college, and no young man wanted to think of himself as second-rate. The increasing number of college graduates coincided with an economy that was shifting from manufacturing and agriculture to a more intellectual and service-oriented market. Today, over three-quarters of Americans work in some kind of white-collar position. Thus, with the image of blue-collar work diminishing in the market for white-collar jobs expanding, it began to be cultural dogma that if a young person wanted a good, respectable, well-paying job, the only option was to go to college. More education was always seen as better. 
The assumption being that the more education someone has, the smarter they are. Hmm. And the better job or life they'll have later on. Trades, on the other hand, often require less schooling by about half in most cases, but sometimes as little as a third or a quarter as much. And so this career path became associated with lesser prospects for success. Thus, by the latter third of the 20th century, both the respectability and desirability of learning a trade had greatly diminished, while the distance between white and blue-collar workers had exponentially grown. Yet this belief that different work means lesser work is hardly inviolable. And it's about time we questioned it and asked, what defines better anyway in terms of a career? Trade jobs have in many cases become better paying and more stable than most office jobs. In the past, it was a sign of cultural status to be a businessman rather than a lowly factory worker. As our economy shifted to the service sector, the difference between wages and quality of life was great enough that being a businessman really was a better job. But today, in many trades or blue-collar professions, those gaps are simply no longer present based on how we define good jobs, largely in terms of pay, stability, autonomy, benefits, and a work-life balance. Further, learning a trade need not mean that you're not cut out for college or that your mind is second-rate. You can be quite smart and still choose to make your living with your hands. The idea that you can either be an intelligent white-collar worker or a dumb blue-collar brute is an extremely false idea. You could easily be an electrician during the day and a devourer of the great books by night. So, too, it simply isn't the case that your day-to-day work in the trades won't engage your mind. Yeah, I mean, talk about stereotypes and, and uh, <clears throat> the fact you know, we, we live with a lot of stereotypes in our life. And I think we live with a lot of intellectual shorthand. Real mm-hmm. easy to kind of put somebody in a box and say, oh, well, that's absolutely. the kind of person they are. And, uh, and forever, just because right. all of a sudden they're not doing some, this one thing. Because your hands get greasy, you can't read, you know, history or Shakespeare. Or, or because you're, uh, maybe because you're a, an educator or a professor that you right. can't work on a tractor. And people tend to kind of, you know, siphon uh-huh. these things off in different directions. We're talking here about the article Reviving Blue Collar Work, Four Myths About the Skilled Trades. And we've talked about now myth number one, that blue collar work is beneath white collar work. Another myth is that blue collar work isn't creative or intellectually stimulating. And a lot of people feel that another barrier to the trades is that there's a false notion that the work is mindless and tedious. Young people today want to be intellectually stimulated by what they do. They want to be creative and innovative. They want to feel like Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. The desire to create is a worthy one and is actually a defining marker of maturity. The issue is that we limit ourselves and how we think we can attain those qualities in the workplace. Surely it can only happen in a modern minimalist office with a Mac and an iPhone (laughs) at hand, a big whiteboard on the wall, fancy coffee at the ready, right? How on earth could creativity happen in a blue uniform with an auger in hand getting to intimately know the inside of a toilet? (laughs) The reality is that any job in the world includes mindless and tedious tasks. That's just how it goes. In fact, a lot of office jobs are more tedious than you might expect. Look at this one. (laughs) Oh, tedious is it ever. Oh, and the the trouble. Hmm. Anyway, a recent study showed that a staggering 90% of office workers waste time during the day on non-work-related activities, largely surfing the web. Hmm. Hmm. Makes sense, though, doesn't it? Nobody can be fully productive over the course of an eight-hour workday. 
Perhaps what's more surprising is that over 60% are wasting at least an hour at work and 30% are wasting two or more hours. So why is this? The vast majority state that they're either unchallenged, unsatisfied with their work, or they're just plain bored. Does that sound like an invigorating, stimulating workplace? Hmm. So there's the question here of whether, um, you know, work is stimulating. And a lot of people in blue collar work would tell you it is very stimulating. In fact, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the, sometimes you have to concentrate so much, you could be risking, you know, life and limb if you're not paying attention. Uh, so it's, it's certainly not boring in many cases. But the perception, again, is that somehow or another, you'd be uh, this, this mindless part of a machine just doing any old thing and, and not adding value and not being creative and so forth. Another myth here. And this is one we've talked about a lot here. Yes. Is that you have to follow your passion. And well, you know, welding isn't your passion. Follow your dreams is a phrase that our culture is in love with these days. Isn't the, it ever? You see it in commercials <laughs> and so forth. You know, be you, actualize and all this stuff. Right. The idea is that in high school or college, you'll realize what you love to do. <laughs> no. And then <laughs> get an education that follows you so that, so that you can have your dream job. What this actually ends up doing though, is simply filling teens and 20-somethings with a whole lot of angst about what to do with their lives. When options are seemingly limitless, we have a really hard time choosing. We end up thinking that our lives are ruined if we don't find that one thing that we really love doing. Thankfully, and although this is extremely hard to realize sometimes, your life isn't limitless. The reality is that most people, especially in their late teens and early 20s, have no idea what they actually want to do. But because of the stereotypes that surround blue-collar work, they go to business or law school by default because having an office job is better than being an elevator technician. How could anyone possibly be passionate about fixing elevators? The answer to that might surprise you. There's a lot of work being done to show that passion or fulfillment in your workplace doesn't come through following your dreams. But a whole host of factors that are very different from that outdated advice. In fact, research is finding that passion follows hard work and being good at what you do rather than precedes it. What this means practically is that if you grease your elbows and master the trade of being a plumber, you'll actually come to enjoy your work. The truth is that our passion ends up being a combination of what we're good at and what we work hard at. Fulfillment at work is more about mastery and autonomy and balance than about a pre-existing passion. Love for your work rarely springs from fulfilling a built-in burning desire in your heart to do that one thing in the world and that one thing only. In fact, turning a hobby you're passionate about into a job is often a surefire way to kill that burning desire, good and dead. To learn more about this, we're going to point you towards some additional materials here uh, in our next segment. And we're also going to talk about myth number four, that dirty hard work is undesirable. So coming up, we've still got more of the article Reviving Blue Collar Work, Four Myths About Skilled Trades. As we said, we've got some resources for you, and if we can squeeze in a peek at some upcoming shows here on There is a Season. You're listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Experts weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news weather and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's news and talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. Yes, you are. 
Johnny on the spot. Janie on the spot. <laughs> My mic was way over there. <laughs> we got a great program we're talking about here today, uh, the shortage of skilled workers in, in, the, uh, in the market. Uh, other programs coming up here, though, in the next several weeks, we're going to talk about, is it possible to ward off or delay Alzheimer's? Interesting topic there. Also, can you afford long-term care? Many Americans are asking themselves that question, and they're concerned about it. And also, Medicare annual election period, you've seen the ads now cut through the hype with our friends from Medicare Planning of Dayton. That is all coming your way here on this program. So today we were talking about reviving blue-collar work and discussing the four myths of skilled trades. And of course, one was that the work is beneath white-collar work. We talked about that. Also, number two, blue-collar work isn't creative or intellectually stimulating. Number three, you have to follow your passion when welding or other things like it are not your passion. And also, myth number four, that dirty, hard work is undesirable. We'll pick it up there. Yeah, so the truth really here is that the world belongs to those who hustle. Ambition without elbow grease won't get you anywhere. Even this generation's career heroes, the late Steve Jobs, Zuckerberg, Richard Branson, worked insanely hard at their jobs. You only got to see the glitz, but they burned more than their fair share of midnight oil. So yeah, you may think, but working hard with your brain sounds better than working hard with your, your, your bra on your hands. It's true that there are different kinds of hard work, but they're both hard in their own way. Each type of hard work has its own pros and cons, and the hardness of physical labor doesn't automatically make anyone less happy than the difficulty in typing at a computer all day. Now, over the course of Micro's stint as host of Dirty Jobs, he came to discover something very interesting about hard, dirty work. Before he started that job, when he was in the brainstorming phase of the show, he expected the people he ran into to really hate their work. But one after another, almost without fail, they loved it. He, in fact, called them the happiest group of people he's ever seen. I'll repeat, passion for your work will follow your working hard at something and achieving mastery in it. Swinging a hammer every day is never going to be as hard as filing TPS reports from 9 to 5 if you're hating every single minute of it. So many, or beyond hard work, many trades are also simply dirty and grimy. We've recently highlighted our culture's obsession with being clean, haven't we, Bob? We've talked about that before. Yeah. Antibacterial soaps and all this. This attitude carries over, unfortunately, into how we view work. We want things to be neat and tidy and minimalist, just like that clean and beautiful Apple laptop sitting on your clean desk. So, and there's a lot more to the article here. We've had to get, give, believe it or not, give you a condensed version. The article, again, is called Reviving Blue Collar Work, Four Myths About the Skilled Trades. And where can people find this? Yes, you can find that at a website called theartofmanliness.com. And that is an article from just this past January. And it's uh, and there's a number of other things within the series. I think there's also a podcast out there that talks about this. Yeah, uh, it, it talks about passion versus the whole craftsman mentality. Yeah, you know, not yeah. just passion. It's not all about that. And we encourage people to to you know if if they, if you didn't have your kids with you, maybe your adult children or your teenagers with you and so forth, and hearing this program or your grandkids, point them back to this podcast. It'll be up on our website. There is a season in about a day, and have them listen through this and go read those articles. Maybe open up their mind a little bit and remove some of that anxiety about what to do with my life by thinking about labor a little differently. So check that out. The show uh, will be at thereisaseasonshow.com. Real easy site to get around. You can search for things on there. Look by date and also look by category. That'll do it for us today. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step. 
and never regret growing older is a privilege denied to many. We're here for each other and here for you. For my dear friend and co-host Gloria Shanahan, our producer, and everyone who makes the show possible, thank you for your time, attention, and interest to what we do here. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to There is a Season on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. From our downtown Dayton McAfee Heating and Air Studios, WHIO AM Dayton, WHIO FM Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station.